on how to offer up particular offerings, the trespass offering for sins, the law of the burnt offering, the meat offering, and the offering at the consecration of the priest, and uh, the law of the sin offering. But there was two verses of scripture as I began to pray about this morning and asking a few weeks ago, knowing that I had to speak this morning and asking the Lord to give me something. I, I just I don't want to come here with something out of my mind or something that I just flip through the pages and all oh, this sounds good. No, this is too valuable. This time is too valuable. We're, we're, we're living in a day and an hour that we, we've got to hear from God. Amen. Amen. And, and so as I was praying and asking for direction this morning, this is what the Lord put on my heart. Verse 12, when he, after some instruction was given, and he, it says, And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. In verse 13, the fire shall, shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. It shall never go out. Amen. Why don't we just real quickly here ask the Lord to speak to us and help us to have our minds fixed upon what the Spirit is speaking and saying to us here this morning. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful that I can come here today, that I can enter into your presence, this congregation, this assembly today, Lord. We're thankful that we can be together here today. We're thankful, God, that we have been able to come and to worship. And we have been able to enter into your presence, Lord Jesus. And I pray, God, now that we turn to your word and we focus upon your word, I pray that you would speak, Lord, through this, uh, these lips, Lord, and through this, this, the, my mind, my heart, God. I'm praying, Lord, that we hear your words, Lord Jesus. I pray that we've come with a heart to receive. I pray that we've come with a yearning and a longing and a passion, O oh God, Lord, for what you have to speak here this morning. We're praying it. We're asking, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You can be seated. So this morning, I want to minister to you on this thought, fire on our altar. Fire on our altar. As I've already mentioned and given you a snapshot of what Leviticus 6 is about, it's about instructions about the different laws pertaining to offerings that were to be offered up. And I, in the reading, have demonstrated to you this morning how that in this chapter, twice, God admonished Moses, keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. 
And if you flip over to Leviticus 9, very last script verse in that, of Scripture in that chapter, you will find where that at the consecration of Aaron and his sons as the priests of the tabernacle, at the conclusion, verse 23, Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. And so here you have an actual account of when they offered up this offering, fire from heaven came down and consumed the sacrifice and began the fire on the altar. We read in several occasions in the Old Testament, it's not uncommon that fire was used in a supernatural event. You have Moses, the calling when God called Moses, and Moses was on the backside of the desert, it says, and tending to his father-in-law's sheep. We have Moses, just him and the sheep. And the scripture doesn't indicate that there was any other human beings around, just Moses and the sheep. And Moses sees a burning bush, and he turns and he's, he says, I'm going to turn again. And I'm going to look at this again. And he sees the bush is burning and out of it God speaks to Moses. Israel, all through the wilderness, they were led at night by a pillar of fire. Mount Sinai, many times Moses went up Mount Sinai. And it was there at Mount Sinai, God meets with Moses through fire. Elijah, the prophets of Baal, basically in just a quick summary, Elijah says, we're going to prove whose God is really God. You build you an altar. You do your sacrifice. You call on your God. And I'll build my altar. And I'll lay a sacrifice on that altar. And he didn't just stop there. He drenched it. He drenched it with water. Water was running off that altar. And when he stepped back and when he called on the Lord God Almighty, God answered by fire and consumed the sacrifice. God often showed himself by fire. If you have not studied... The tabernacle plan, if you're ever wondering at some point in time what you can study and what you can read in the scripture, uh, studying the tabernacle plan and understanding the symbolism of each piece that was a part of that and what it means for, for us uh, and our, our New Testament salvation, you, you, it would... It would it would do you some good. It would give you greater in-depth of understanding to our salvation today. 
But that tabernacle plan, I think I've got a picture here just to kind of give you an understanding of how that it was constructed. You, if you have read about the tabernacle plan and its construction, uh, God gave Moses the blueprint for this. He gave him the he gave him detail. He gave him dimensions on every piece, and 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 he gave him the bill of materials. He he. I, I, so we're going to focus here a minute on the brazen altar and that brazen altar. He gave him the details of what kind of wood you are to make this altar out of Moses and you are to overlay it with bronze and it is to be uh, seven and a half feet square and it's to be four and a half feet tall and it's to have a horn that is to be on the four corners of this altar and the different utensils that are to be used in the uh, 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 offering up of sacrifices at this brazen altar. He gave him the details on everything that you see pertaining to the tabernacle plan. Even those curtains. Even the post that's holding those curtains up were to be of a certain pattern, a certain uh, 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 means and methods of how to make them. He, God was very specific. And so the brazen altar, when... The, 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 at the lower end of the perimeter there, it's, uh, the purple looking section of uh, the entrance, uh, that's the entrance into the courtyard, the outer court. And you came to the very first piece, the brazen altar. And that, as I've already mentioned, seven and a half, square, uh, square, uh, seven and a half feet square, four and a half feet high. And if you look at what in Scripture, what the word altar means in the Hebrew, it was a little bit gruesome uh, as to what it meant. A place of slaughter or a slaughter place. In the Greek, it is called a place of sacrifice. So both of them basically have the same meaning because they were to bring in their animals to be sacrificed, if it was a bullock, if it was a lamb, they were to bring it in to the altar and bring it up to the priest that ministered there at the brazen altar. And that animal was sacrificed upon that brazen altar. And so they were instructed, we, we read from chapter 6 in Leviticus, and the, the, a, a chapter of instruction on how to give sacrifice and they were instructed what to do and they, they, they were instructed to place the sacrifice upon that brazen altar that you see is the first piece that as you enter into the outer court. And once, there, uh, uh, once that sacrifice was placed upon that altar, when God would accept that sacrifice, when he accepted the sacrifice, Fire from heaven came down and consumed the sacrifice. Once there was fire on the altar, the scripture we read tells us they were instructed, it shall never go out. Now there were some things in their journey through the wilderness that was perpetual. You've heard talk about, I'm sure you've heard preaching rather, about how that their clothes never wore out during the journey. 
You've heard how that their the, the, the shoes or whatever they wore on their feet did not wear out over the course of that 40-year journey. And so there were some things that was perpetual, everlasting, so to speak, or at least it, it, the, the, these items, these articles, the certain articles lasted the entire 40-year journey. But there was also some things that would not last without man's intervention. It was not the fire when the fire came down from heaven and ignited that altar and consumed the sacrifice. It was not a perpetual fire. It was not just a once and done thing and they could just walk away and they could, they could just leave it and they just know that there, there would always be a fire there upon the brazen altar. Uh, but every morning the priest had to go out and had to put wood, uh, had to put more wood on the fire and had to take some utensils and begin to, and I don't know if any of you got a fireplace in your home. You can kind of relate to this and understand uh, a little bit. You will understand what I'm saying saying about building and keeping a fire you wake up in the morning and 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 it doesn't seem like there's any fire inside that that stove but you begin to poke and you begin to prod around and uh, and uh, you can find down under those ashes there's some good glowing red hot coals that are still alive and capable of bringing back a fire within that stove and so they were to add at morning and evening, they were to add wood to the altar to keep the fire burning. There was a reason why that the fire, there needed to be a constant fire in this brazen or upon this brazen altar. Because it was from the brazen altar that they were to take coals in a sensor, in a device that they could carry them. And they were to go into the holy place. If we go to the next screen. And there was a, there's, so when they, they would go into this holy place and you, you, had, you had the seven uh, golden candlesticks and you had the table of showbread. But then before you enter into the holy of holies, there was the altar of incense. And they were to take that censer, they called it, and they were to go to the brazen altar and they were to rake out some of those hot coals and, and, and put it in that censer. And they were to carry that censer into the holy place, into uh, the, where that the altar of incense was sitting. And they were to put those hot coals upon that altar of incense and mingle it with that incense that it would offer up a sweet, savory smell before the Lord. It was a place of worship. Amen. It was a place where they worshipped unto the Lord as that sweet smell of incense went up before the Lord. Can I tell you this morning... That brazen altar that we were looking at just a minute ago. It is a place where there is a dying. It is a place where sacrifice is made. And for you and I here this morning, it is a place that is symbolically a place of repentance. 
It is a place where you and I, we go before the Lord and we offer a sacrifice to Him. When you go to that altar and you make that altar or make, make an altar of repentance, that place, there is something that happens at that place when you offer up heartfelt repentance. When you come before the Lord and you begin to break the alabaster box of your soul at an altar of repentance... I'm telling you, friend, there's something that's got to happen. There's something that's got to begin to stir in your heart. There's something that's got to begin to stir in your soul. Amen. We can read about Esau, how that he went to an altar of repentance and he sought God with tears. He didn't receive his forgiveness that he was looking for, but he sought repentance with tears. David, I like how David says it. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. The altar of repentance isn't just, it's, it's, not, it's not a light place. It's not a place to just Run through the motions. It's just, and I'm not sure. I wonder sometimes. I, I, I have to tell you, I stand back and I, 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 as I'm praying around with people, I don't necessarily want that to sound the way I said it, that I stand back. But as I'm praying up here at the altar and somebody comes up to repent and, 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 and I, 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 I'm praying along and, 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 and they, 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 maybe they get the Holy Ghost, maybe they don't, but... They walk out the doors, they go home, and they never come back again. And I've often marveled at that, and I try to analyze, and, and, and what is it, what's happening, what's taking place, that, that, that there was some, not something that happened right there that impacted them in such a profound way that it would bring them back the next time that the church house doors are open. And so the altar of repentance, the altar of sacrifice, Today is not a place that is to be taken lightly. It's not a process that you are to just come up here and just go through as if it's some kind of a formality. Friend, you need to connect with God. Amen. There needs to be a fire that begins down in your soul, down in your spirit. Amen. Because if you get that fire down in your soul and down in your spirit, you'll be back at this place the next time that the doors are open and the next time there's an opportunity to come to an altar you'll be in the altar before God amen at that altar at that altar of repentance there's got to be something that happens in the soul amen a lifting of burdens a release from sin there ought to be a shift. There ought to be a change. There ought to be a passion that is birthed at an altar of repentance. A fire that will ignite a spirit of worship. Mm. Ha. You cannot enter into the presence of God 
without an altar in your life. I'm used to this, and this, this isn't me, this is not my theology. I'm, I'm looking at the scripture, I'm looking at the principle of the word of God and the word of God and the principle of it and by demonstration over my 50 some years in the church you cannot enter into the presence of God without an altar. We must have an altar of sacrifice. A place where you surrender and you lay your will on the altar for His will. That it be consumed by the fire of the Holy Ghost. That shall never go out. There must be in a, a, a place of sacrifice. There must be a, a place of sacrifice. There must be a sacrifice on that altar for the fire of God to fall in our lives. A place the Apostle Paul, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, when the Apostle Paul admonishes us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice holy holy and acceptable unto the Lord and he finishes it by saying that is your reasonable service reasonable that's your reasonable service the apostle Paul said I died daily he built an altar daily. He went to an altar daily. He put his will, he put his human flesh, he put his, the carnality of his flesh on an altar daily to keep it in check. To keep the fire burning. Everything within us that does not align with the will of God must die on an altar. I see too many believers today. They want the power. But they're not willing to make the sacrifice. They want the power. We have some characters in scripture in the New Testament. They tried to buy it. How much? No friend. You can't buy this. Amen. You can't wish it. You can't create it on your own. There's not a program that will create it. There's not a set of methods that will create it. Amen. If you want this Holy Ghost power, you've got to have an altar. And there's got to be some fire that's burning on that altar. Amen. I wonder sometimes... And I'm speaking of the church in general. I wonder sometimes if the church and the people of the church as a whole has not adopted an entitlement 
mindset. Always wanting their blessing without offering a sacrifice. God doesn't owe us anything. Entitlements says he is the debtor. Amen. We, we're, we're the indebted one. It's, it, 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 if it's not enough that he went to a cross and took upon himself your sin and my sin, if that's not enough, what about waking you up this morning, putting breath in your body, allowing you to be in this place today? If you are spirit-filled, what about the day that he called you out of a pew up to an altar of repentance? Amen. He baptized you, washed away your sin, filled you with his spirit. If he never does another thing, I am totally indebted to him. He owes me nothing more. We've gotten to where we are today because there are some people of past days who have built a fire on the altar, who have kept the fire burning. Go back to just go back a little over a hundred years ago, Azusa Street. Early 1900s, people hungry for God begin to pray, begin to seek God, build an altar, put sacrifice on the altar, and God responded. And the fire of the Holy Ghost fell in that Azusa Street mission. It ignited that city, it, it, it made a profound impact upon that city. People began to search it out. People began to seek it out. Reporters were going down to find out what was going on. Oh, yes, there was some that tried to shut it down. There was some to try, tried to, uh, to snuff out the fire. But I'm going to tell you, when there is a Holy Ghost fire that comes down upon an altar of sacrifice that is made in our heart, in our soul, in our spirit, I'm telling you, it's a fire that nobody can put out. Nobody can put it out unless you do not keep the fire burning. Modern religion has just it's astounding to me over the last few decades how far modern religion is shifting from being totally, biblically, principally based. It's shifting. Modern religion just just let me feel good. Just, just let me have my microwave altar. It burns my britches. 
When I see on social media somebody posts a prayer request, and it's a serious request, and I just see these people say, praying, 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 praying. Friend, if I'm laying in a hospital bed and I'm in dire need of a touch from God, I want something more than a social media post saying praying. I'm not saying that there's not some people that maybe goes to their prayer closet and spends some time in some serious prayer for the need. But as I look at that, And I see all these people posting, praying, 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 praying. Are they really? Was it just an utterance of the Lord Jesus touching? And I'm not mocking that. I'm not uh, 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 knocking that. But it's got to be more than just an utterance. It's just got to be, it's got to be more than just a momentary passage across our mind and then forget it. Amen. Microwave altar. Just say it, just utter the words and move on. As if it never happened. I fear sometimes that we're just focused more as a church as a whole. We're just focused on being great orators with polished perceptions. And can I tell you this morning, we'll never get to where we are going unless there is a fire that is upon our altar that we can continually keep it burning and that we can stoke it that it shall never that it shall never go out Amen For those of you who are seasoned saints I think I can probably say, if you were like me, there are times that you reflect on how it used to be in the church. We do. We reflect 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Sometimes maybe you grieve for what the church is today in comparison to what the church used to be 50 years ago. Some days you maybe lament. Some days you might even wonder, what's the use? The church ain't anything today like it was 50 years ago when I got into the church. And so you reflect how it used to be. 
people maybe seemingly that people were more dedicated, people were more committed, people come into the church and they knew that there had to be a change. They knew that principally <coughs> and scripturally that there had to be a change in how that they were living their lives. When the church house doors were open, they knew that that's where they needed to be. They knew that they, this, this new life, this new way of walking, that it was a, a, a life of commitment to God and it was a life of being faithful to God in, to, in everything from your church house attendance to your giving and to uh, reaching out to people around you and, 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 and just in whatever way that you could serve that you were willing to serve Him. Maybe you reflect on how that it used to be that God in church was number one when you came to an altar of repentance you were baptized you received the Holy Ghost at that point you had a new life a new way of living and God in church was number one Nothing else. Nothing else elevated to that level of priority. It was God and church. Amen. Deep moves of God in church services. People delivered from drugs. People delivered from alcohol. People delivered from tobacco. I can tell you the times when I can recall seeing people that would come to an altar that were addicted to nicotine and they would whip out a pack of cigarettes and they would lay them on the altar and walk away filled with the Holy Ghost and never smoke another one, not even having a desire to pick it up. Oh, it happened. like me you reflect back when a preacher would labor behind this pulpit and preach a powerful message that was laden with conviction and people would get out of their pew and come to an altar and seek God with a hunger and with a passion I reflect sometimes and I remember a church that had a burden for the lost and a burden for the dying, a burden for their lost children, a burden for family that was not in the church. As I reflect, I remember a church that would come into the altar and begin to work with the seekers and they would not give up, they would not let up until either that seeker just flat out quit or they prayed through to receiving the Holy Ghost. I've seen altar calls last hours
not willing to surrender a soul back into the world without leaving here born again of the water and of the Spirit. I was studying and I just one particular memory that flooded my mind. church I grew up in there was a sister that when she was called on to come up and sing a special she sung it with passion she didn't come up here and just sing a pretty melody she didn't come up here and just lay out her talent because she had a talent but she would pour herself into singing with a passion as if God Almighty was sitting there in that audience. Why? Because she had a fire in her heart and in her soul that she had been stoking. Every morning, every day, every evening, she went to that fire and she stoked that fire. She put more wood on that fire that it would continue to burn, that it should never, ever go out. So if you're like me, sometimes you, you reflect. You look back in past times of how the church used to be. And in that process, you maybe ask yourself the question, what happened? What happened? How did we get to where we are today in 2019 as a church? Not just this assembly, the church as a whole. How did we get to where we are? And I could go down a list of things, and as I, my personal, my personal analytics, uh, if you disagree with me, then we'll, fine, I, I appreciate that. But as I have looked, and as I have analyzed what changed, it seems like when technology began to make inroads, it began to creep into our midst and into our homes and into our personal usage. Video games. Video itself. Television. The internet. Going to movie theaters. Going to sporting events. I'm not saying that these are sin. The Apostle Paul said, lay aside every weight. He didn't say sin. Lay aside anything that weights you down. 
you are running a race. And a runner wants to be as light as possible. And he, the apostle Paul said, lay aside every weight that so easily besets you. And so I look, I analyze from back 30, 40, 50 years ago, what has happened? What is the shift? What have we allowed to happen? And the things that I have mentioned to you, probably one of the ways to best summarize these is that they are time robbers. They're time robbers. Before these things, we had more time. We had more time to pray. We had more time for church. We had more time to study the Word. We had more time to being devoted to God. And so what I see is, is in the church as a whole, some have quit putting a sacrifice on the altar. They've just flat out stopped. No sacrifice. Some have let the fire go out. The fire of passion, the fire of compassion, the fire of a burden for the lost. Snuffed out. Jude chapter 1. If we can put that up there, I've got it on the overhead. In verse 17, we read, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there, were, there should be mockers in the last time. Who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. In verse 22, and of some, have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. The church is called and chosen to make a difference. I, I, I have been, and maybe part of this message is birthed out of the journey that I am on, because over the last few months, I have tried to transform my praying from just going through my prayer time to praying. Reignite the fire in my soul. 
that I would have that passion, that I would have that compassion, that I would have a burden for the lost and for the dying. But at the same time, in order for that fire to be reignited in my soul and in my spirit, I have got to put a sacrifice on the altar. That's where I'm at. Have we become so entangled in living life and the affairs of life that we've just ignored the sacrifice, that we've just allowed the fire to just burn out, that we've become too busy, not enough time, too much going on. Jesus describes the seed in the parable of the sowing of seed. He describes the seed that was sown amongst the thorns. He described it this way, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entered in, choke the world, and it becometh unfruitful. So I have come to the conclusion, for me personally, in my personal journey, I have got to put a sacrifice on the altar if I want the fire of God back in my life and burning with a passion in my life. There's some things that we need to put on the altar. There's some things that needs to be consumed. There's some things that needs to go away if we're going to keep a fire burning in our lives. What happens on our altars matters. For our worship to be right, it's got to begin at an altar. Amen. Let me say it again. For our worship to be right, it has to begin at our altar. From the initial sacrifice, the moment of repentance, we've got to keep the fire burning. It's work, friend. It's work. You've got a lot to do and you've got a lot on your schedule and there's a lot going on in your life and, 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 and uh, uh, you just, sometimes you just, you just race right on past the opportunity to pray. I'll catch up with it tomorrow. No, you just lost that opportunity. You just lost that time and you'll never be able to recapture it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't pick back up on it the next day if you, if you forego an opportunity. But we just, life, life, the raceway of life. Amen. No true worship. There cannot be any true worship without a fire on your altar. Amen. So I'm closing. Scripture tells us there was four sons that served in the priesthood with Aaron. Four, it was Aaron and four of his sons. And there was two of his sons that they thought they could shortcut the process. As I've already explained to you, the 
They were to take a coal off of the brazen altar in the censer and they were to take it and carry it into the altar of incense and they were to put it on the altar of incense and with the incense that it would offer up the smell of that incense. But Nadab and Abihu, they thought that we can do this quicker. We can shortcut the process. We can just do this real quick and hurry up and be done and go back to the cares of life. And the Bible says, the Bible uses the word strange fire. They brought strange fire in their censers to offer up incense before the Lord. And God used fire to devour them and took their, he consumed their life because they offered up strange fire in a means to circumvent God's design for how worship was to take place at the altar of incense. You know, I'm all about being relevant to the day and the hour that we live. But not at the expense of the fire being snuffed out from my altar. If there's no fire in my altar, then basically I'm just ineffective. If we can stand, there's a couple of quotes I came across that I want to share with you in closing. This first one by Charles Wesley, and I've heard you, you've heard of John Wesley, and my next quote is from John Wesley. Both of the old Methodist belief but Charles Wesley said catch on fire with enthusiasm and people will come for miles to watch you burn I've often said it we could have this church we, we could plant this church building in some way back off the road country road and we have the fire of the Holy Ghost burning according to the way the scripture calls us to and people begin to come into the church people begin to get delivered people begin to be healed of sicknesses and diseases I'm telling you friend people would search that church out And so what Mr. Wesley said there, he, he's, it's been centuries ago, but it's still true today. Catch on fire with enthusiasm and people will come for miles to watch you burn. My second quote is by his brother, and that's probably a little bit hard to see, but this is what it says. My fear is not our great movement known as the Methodist, 
will eventually cease to exist or one day die from the earth. My fear is that our people will become content to live without the fire, the power, the excitement, the supernatural element that makes us great. That was John Wesley of the Methodist movement. And if you know anything about the Methodist movement today, it is nothing near what it used to be when John Wesley was a minister of that movement. I'm not even sure he would recognize it today. I'm telling you, church, we need a revival. I'm not talking about a special service where there's a special speaker that stands here before you and preaches a message. I'm talking about there's got to be a shift. There's got to be a change. There's got to be some fire in our spirit. Amen. There's got to be some fire that wells up in our soul. I'm talking about a fire that drives us with a passion to want more of Him. Oh, God, a passion, a fire that, oh, that consumes us. Our world needs it. Our world needs it. If you're here this morning and the Holy Ghost has spoken to you and ministered to you from this message, I'm asking you to just step out. Maybe your first sacrifice that you can make is just put, put, put your Sunday afternoon meal, delay it, put, put it on the altar as a sacrifice and delay it till whenever you get done here this morning. But first and foremost, respond. Respond. If there's a calling, if something's just, if something out of this is just, just, just got you in your in your spirit, realizing, understanding, I've got to go deeper. I've got to, I've got to have have a sacrifice on the altar. But the fire of passion can be reignited in my soul and in my spirit. They sing, I'm asking you to come with the Holy Ghost to speaking to your heart.